Welcome to the latest Boardroom Talk. I'm Mark Robinson, and for this edition, we decided to conduct a little vox pop in neighbouring Borough Market, ahead of our conversation with Guy Wakeley, the Chief Executive of Quinity PLC. The subject of occupational pensions, and indeed the government reforms of the past couple of years, are highly pertinent to Quinity. But our brief discussions gave us the impression that people are far from satisfied with the reforms to workplace pensions. We also quizzed the market goers of borough on what changes, if any, they would like to see on the voting regulations governing nominee accounts. Unfortunately, the latter topic drew a blank in the main, but Guy Wakeley proved suitably effusive on both topics. Finding a financial advisor who would be prepared to take on my pension. I had a final salary pension scheme and because it was above 30,000, it was only 110, which is nothing really in the scheme of things. It was finding someone who would be prepared to take it on and deal with all the paperwork, which was a monumental task. I come from a financial services background. I think anybody who knows very little, which is most people out there, it must, must be a, a, a monumental headache. I think the independent person I saw was actually brilliant but I was able to evaluate someone but Joe Bloggs would find that very difficult and I just think it's a minefield really and it just, I think it just basically puts people off wanting to deal with pensions. I have the option to draw down but at the moment what I've done is I've just put it into a pot of money so if I don't want to touch it it will just get paid out it's in trust basically so it'll get paid out to my daughters but at the moment I don't need to draw down but I have that option. Basically, I don't have a very high opinion of the whole field. There's too many rogues out there. I've worked in the industry for large companies, and the amount of shady dealings, the things that people do just to get the business, and I'm talking about large organisations, I just have total distrust for them all. I, I think I was very fortunate in finding this small family affair, just basically a husband and wife with a backup team, who managed it brilliantly for me. I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew why I wanted to opt out of the final salary because it was two and a half, two thousand a year or something. And, and I thought, well, I'd rather have 115 grand in a possible money. Yes, okay, maybe I will live to 90. But I had to make a decision because I'm 60 this year, what to do. And I decided, well, for the sake of two, two and a half, two thousand three hundred pounds, I'd rather have 115 grand in a pot. The whole pensions revolution the whole thing's been decimated by Gordon Brown when he abolished advanced corporation tax and just with the non-existent interest rates. So an annuity, forget it. Why do you want it? So you either opt for your final salary and take that pension as a defined benefit, which is fine. You could, And I just decided, well, I'd rather have that as a lump sum. And then if I want to draw it down, I can draw it down as and when I need it. Or I'll leave it and my, my daughters will inherit it tax-free out of your estate. Fortunately, I'm maybe one of the last people with a um, final salary pension, which is uh, helping me, well, hopefully will help me. But we'll also, my wife with the pension reforms, again with that, just missing out. So it does appear that she's going to have to be working a, by a couple of months, a year extra than what I do. So. Having that ability, you know, we, we're all prepared to live a bit longer in our lives. However, having being able to have a drawdown on it will only can benefit there for with the better health um, and, and better ability to actually do things that you want to do in your life earlier on. Have you ever had any investments in managed funds? 
Yes, I have. Have you got any thoughts on proposals surrounding reforms to the, the regulations covering nominee accounts, specifically regarding voting rights for uh, individual shareholders? Are you aware of these? I'm not aware of those, no. Obviously, you had a literature come through, but no, I'm not aware of the... Would you prefer to be in a position where you had influence uh, in terms of voting rights over the companies in which you've been invested in? I know it's a potentially very complicated subject. In principle, would be that something that would appeal to you? I think if you're educated enough in the sense of having been able to make those decisions... Would you regard to things like director remuneration as well? Yes, most certainly. However, I feel that sometimes it can be clouded judgment on the actual business my understanding of the pension reform is largely based on uh, lots of adverts saying that people now have to have an occupational pension and it's the employer's uh, job to make sure they know that that's available and the employer must provide it. But of course, you know, not every employer is, uh, is massive or big. When you take things like BHS, so clearly pension funds aren't entirely safe, no matter how big the employer. Yeah. But if we could get an occupational pension based on perhaps just working for five years with a massive payout, then at least we'd be just like the MPs. That's the kind of pension <laughs> scheme I would like to see. Where I've seen about drawdown, it strikes me that you could be drawing down money perhaps too early when you actually need it. My own view is, and probably a lot of people of my generation, we know that we've just got to carry on working until we absolutely need our pensions. But if someone comes along with the offer of, oh, draw down X amount of tens of thousands of your pension to get that extension you wanted or that new car, then I find myself uh, in frailty and a real old age finding the house being taken off me to pay for my own social care, which I thought I'd paid in through the NHS anyway. I mean, if they want the money for social care, take it from me now while I'm still working, not when I'm old and infirm and probably not in control of my faculties. I uh, simply don't have uh, any spare cash to put into any kind of capital fund. Now, even if you don't uh, hold shares directly in Aquinity, chances are that you'll rely on their range of services, uh, not least because they handle registrar duties for the lion's share of the FTSE 100 benchmark constituents. That part of the business once traded as uh, Lloyd's Registrars, but was bought out of the Lloyd's TSB group back in 2007 by Advent International, a private equity group. But if you go back far enough, uh, you'll find that uh, the group has its genesis in the position of Government Paymaster General. Now, the group handles around about 70% of the FTSE 100 constituents, as well as some of the uh, largest pension schemes in the UK. So it's obviously uh, highly relevant to our readership. Uh, Much of the technology that Aquinity develops is produced, typically built and developed in-house. To give you some idea of the scale of the business, last year it processed three of the largest um, corporate transactions in the UK. The acquisition of uh, BG Group by Royal Dutch Shell, that was a long time in coming. Also, the acquisition of arm holdings by SoftBank and the deal with SAB Miller and AB InBev. So it's a little bit more uh, than loss or damage share certificates nowadays, that's for sure. Thanks for speaking to us, Guy. Uh, there's plenty of going on in terms of equinity itself, but uh, we might be able to shed some light on any potential changes, regulatory or otherwise, that could uh, affect shareholders and pensioners. Um, you know who obviously constitute our readership, but in the first, the big news for Aquinity over the last few months, I guess, was uh, the deal linked to the Wells Fargo registration business. The word transformative is uh, obviously overused in finance circles, 
But in terms of the scale and geographic spread of uh, equinity, it might well be pertinent. So what was the thinking behind the deal, and does this signal uh, wider global ambitions for the group? Well, thank you for that introduction, Mark. And certainly the uh, Wells Fargo transaction will be transformative for us. Our business, as you've just described, is a domestic business. We look after domestic registration and the payment of uh, domestic pensions. But working with Wells Fargo takes us into the US market, which is a significantly larger equity market. For scale, there are about 2,500 companies who issue shares here in the UK, but there's 18,000 in the US. The platform capability that we've developed uh, here in the UK for processing dividends, uh, managing share registration and also running share plans is directly applicable to that US market. We can take UK specialism and UK technology and apply it in the biggest equity market in the world. And so what was the feedback you actually got from Wells Fargo management then? Were they excited about the the prospects that uh, an introduction of new technology and thinking can bring? Well, you know they were. Their their business is a very established business and Wells Fargo has uh, done share registrations since 1929. They work for some of the biggest corporations in the US, such as... That would have been interesting years to start as well. Well, indeed. To start in 29 is quite something. Um, And they work for Motorola, for Hyatt Hotels, for Procter & Gamble, for General Electric, you know, some of the biggest uh, names in the Fortune 500. But their business has lacked investment. So it's taking those technology platforms and using them to create digital online services for US holders. That's, That's the attraction here. Okay, obviously there's going to be great similarities uh, and synergies between the two businesses themselves, but do shareholders have different rights in the US you have to take account of, and will you be bringing the same level of service uh, over to the US? The markets work really in a very similar way. Shareholders have comparable rights, and the, uh, both the, the rules and the language are very similar. But the way service is delivered there is much more paper-driven. So what we're seeking to do here is get online service access for much, much broader uh, numbers of shareholders. Okay, and that's going to increase efficiencies in the US, no doubt. It will increase efficiency and also increase, we hope, the shareholder experience. and, And that's good for the corporates as well. Okay. Well, can we just dwell slightly on the, on the funding for the deal at the moment? Because that's still in process, is it not? Of course, yes. We, uh, we're funding the deal from a combination of debt and equity. Uh, the price we paid was $227 million US dollars. And we have a rights issue in the market at the moment for £122 million sterling. Okay. And that's going through at the present time. So we'll keep an eye on that, no doubt. Have you got any uh, thoughts on how your corporate clients, um, I mean, we talked about Wells Fargo and this might have uh, implications for your global spread as well, but maybe that feeds into a wider narrative um, linked to Brexit. Have you got any impression whatsoever how any of your corporate clients are dealing with the potential changes on the way and and if they've responded adequately thus far? Well, it's an incredibly broad uh, topic and I think it's right to say that business is really concerned about Brexit. There can be no doubt about that. The things that matter, of course, are free movement of people, um, incredibly important in London, uh, freedom of financial services and passporting of those services into the, the European market and Perhaps even more importantly, what's going to happen with trade? And will trade be tariffed or will trade continue to be free? Now, our clients in the main are domestic clients, the biggest UK supermarket, the biggest UK bank. So those businesses will continue. There's no question about that. But everybody's now having to make uh, preparations for potentially operating out of Europe in a different way, relocating some of their head office functions and preparing themselves for the potential of possibly there being a trade tariff. And that's a real issue. Yeah, I I guess it would be. And and it comes at a time as well where uh, businesses are having to uh, transform and adapt to the incoming uh, uh, MIFID II strictures as well. This is obviously something that you've been concentrating on. 
Yeah, and I would love to say that um, the uh, potential separation from Europe will massively simplify the regulatory structures here in the UK. I think that's unlikely to happen. And the likely outcome of continuing passporting of financial services is that MIFID and all the things that go with that will have to continue. So UK corporates, they've got to prepare for new regulation whilst also dealing with Brexit. And it makes business tough. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And uh, it, it's it's inconceivable to think that the regulatory framework would be simplified anyway, just because financial products are becoming ever more complex. Uh, and there's transglobal regulations as well that apply. But I, I do remember the last time that we, we spoke together, you said that uh, uh, complexity or regulatory complexity is actually uh, um, a bull point for equinity. It is. It's a real pivot point for our business. So, of course, we have to adapt to MIFID and the new data protection regulations and the new um, money laundering regulations. But we take a longer view here. And the longer view is that these regulations ultimately are in the interests of markets and consumers, therefore make uh, customers have a better experience and make our markets more stable. And because we own the technology, we can then deploy that technology into our client base. So short term pain, long term gain. That's how we think of it. Yeah, that's interesting that you've taken that decision. It's obviously um, company policy in a sense to, to develop that technology in-house as well. It gives you more leverage over the long term, I guess. It does, it does. And with, with regulation, you can view it as tax, you know, stuff that you have to do and therefore it's a burden or you can view it as an opportunity and try and grow into it. And that's what we're trying to do where we can. OK, well, uh, we'll stay on regulatory issues uh, for the moment. Uh, I know that uh, you're speaking to ministers and departmental heads uh, from time to time uh, in, in relation to changes that are in train. Uh, do you envisage a time, for instance, when, say, nominee counts will need to separate out individual voting rights, or do you think this is uh, too complicated from a practical perspective? I mean, obviously, it's completely germane to our readership as well, because uh, we've had no end of articles in the magazine calling for uh, greater, not only greater transparency, but greater power uh, being returned to individual shareholders. Well, there are a few points to make there. The first is I firmly believe that all nominee shareholders should be able to vote. I think that's in the interests of uh, good equity ownership and good stewardship, and I think corporate clients would welcome that. I think government should welcome that. Now, to make it happen, though, I mean, government have their hands full at the moment. There's sure. no question about that. And in the equity space, they also have the challenge of dematerialisation and moving to a fully uh, uh, paperless, certificateless uh, environment. What order will things happen in? I think dematerialisation comes first, but mm -hmm. I think as a mid-term uh, mid objective, we would certainly support government legislating for nominee voting. Do you get the impression there's uh, an appetite for that in Westminster? I think there is a general um, environment of wanting to promote reform in the markets. No question about that. But that appetite stretches to a number of spheres. Um, another one, for instance, is um, employee representation on boards yes. and their control of remuneration structures. I think all of these things are within, um, within the Prime Minister's sphere of view at the moment. But we need a Brexit deal first. Yeah, I guess. And then they'd have to find some independent entity to administer all this as well. But... Uh you couldn't possibly comment on that. It would be wrong to comment on that. Of course, of course. I note that the uh, Equinity has um, conducted a, a recent review covering the uh, 2016-17 AGMs for FTSE 350 companies. Now, I had a, a brief thumb through it the other day. Are there any trends that your analysts have identified that may be uh, relevant to retail investors? I think there are a couple of points that I'd want to, want to bring out. Firstly, okay. um, more generally... 
I think corporates are taking the AGM much more seriously. And I think they have to because there have been a number of uh, very public uh, reports of uh, issues emerging at AGMs and catching those companies out. So what's new in this season? I think two things. Remuneration is much more important. The proportion of FTSE 100 companies putting resolutions on remuneration to their AGMs has significantly increased. Um, More than 60% of companies have done that now. The resolutions are still getting passed in the main, but companies are having to be much, much more sensitive to what shareholders and insurers think about those recommendations. Yeah, we've, we've certainly noticed that yeah. this year. So remuneration, I mean, that's, that's, that's right at the top of the list, no question about that. Voting habits at AGMs have changed, and previously, particularly in the 250, most AGMs would be carried by a, a show of hands. Now, almost every company is carrying, uh, is polling for their voting rather than carrying a, a show of hands. That's a big difference as well. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the rigour of these meetings is, is developing to suit the existing, the the continuing scrutiny that uh, investors are uh, are putting upon them. Well, it's nice to uh, think that these things are moving forward as well. Away from issues of corporate governance, um, it would be interesting to hear about uh, how Equinity is adapting uh, the business to the uh, changing post-retirement landscape. Uh, Equinity's life and pensions business uh, seems to focus on annuity services and defined benefit pension schemes. Uh, while neither are, are dead as concepts, uh, both are witnessing a marked decline. Uh, to give one example, Prudential is uh, completely pulled out of the annuity market and savers are increasingly using drawdown products or just taking cash when they retire. Um, how are you seeing that? Was, it, was there a fair description at the moment? And how has that affected the business? Well, it's a fair description for sure, but uh, changes in the pensions market uh, happen over generations rather than over years. So um, George Osborne's pensions freedoms are now are now being felt, of course. You can mm-hmm. do partial drawdown, you can uh, take cash, you haven't got to buy an annuity. But it takes a very, very long time for existing uh, DB-type schemes, defined benefit schemes, to, to work through uh, and for, uh, for existing uh, investors and savers to take their decisions around their annuities. So what we're seeing in the midterm here is change. Um, schemes needing to be administered differently, the rules within those schemes changing and therefore behaviours changing. We think as well that those those pension freedoms have a really profound effect on how people will, uh, will plan for their futures and I think there is an awful lot of um, product scrutiny and potentially product remediation that needs to come through the market to ensure that these partial drawdown products are, are right, are fair, are properly sold and that people understand what they're doing when they take them. There's a lot to happen here. I know. Is, the, is this a type of thing that you'd be involved with from, um, uh, well, I was going to say educational, that's the wrong word, but at least um, letting people know exactly what their entitlements are under the reforms? Our principal role here, we don't like to give advice to, to pensioners that, or, or savers. That's not our business. But what we do like to do is help advise uh, schemes and uh, uh, trustees on how um, how their savings products should be conducted um, and therefore how they can adapt them to suit the changing market. So there's plenty of change here and plenty of opportunity. OK, well, the other side of the coin as well is that uh, the groups involved in uh, defined contribution administration and payroll and that's a growing market because of the introduction of uh, auto enrolment. But it might be um, interesting to hear how the how the group will adapt once all the outstanding employers have set up uh, AE arrangements, and what challenges uh, lie in that particular market. I think 
two things are important here. Um, I think auto enrolment is a superb initiative, and for the uh, for the state to provide um, you know direct uh, um, legislation to force employers to set up pension schemes that's that's got to be right, um, and it has to be right because the value of people's savings possibly elsewhere, overdue as well. I'd have thought. I, I think that's right. I think that's right, and the, the value of people's savings elsewhere are clearly being eroded by low interest rates. But what happens in parallel is that. Uh, a typical corporate um, defined contribution scheme will not provide sufficient money for your retirement. Those, those schemes are not big enough. They don't grow quickly enough. So many people now need to look to other products to support or augment their savings plans, their retirement plans. And that's where the equities market and the pensions market come together. Because currently the only place that you can get a meaningful return is in the equities market. And increasingly, this creates an environment where retail shareholders should be encouraged to invest more where the market should be more simple, transparent and open for retail shareholders to do more and increasingly for equity-backed personal products to be closer connected to pensions products. I think the two markets converge and I think the legislation is forcing that. I suppose you've got another uh, catalyst involved here uh, given the uh, sort of lower for longer interest rate environment. Well, that's right. And that's that's had very, very serious effects for, uh, for pension schemes, of course. It's pushed down yields, um, which uh, increases the cost of schemes. And that, in parallel with significantly increased longevity, is creating this crisis of unaffordability. Now, interest rates will come back. The question is when, of course, and how quickly. Um, but as inflation is now climbing, 2.9% um, now, it's, it, it's probable that there'll need to be a small amount of stimulus through interest rates to keep the economy balanced, I think, and check that inflation. But for the average saver, you know, if you're planning for your retirement now, you need to diversify between your pension scheme uh, and other um, equity-backed products that you take yourself. We also note that one of the three big... Uh, consultancies in the pension world, Anne Hewitt has agreed to subcontract out administration services for some large public sector pension plans uh, up in uh, Scotland. Uh, um, have you reacted to that? I mean, does that present an opportunity for the group? It does, and we're we're now providing services to those um, Aon clients up in the north of Scotland, such as the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority. For pensions admin, you need scale, no question about that. You need technology and scale to run these schemes quickly, efficiently and at low unit cost. The Aon model is not focused on uh, on operating to scale like that and that's really where we play. So we think there are um, other consolidating opportunities to do more in the space, uh, particularly in the public sector where people live for uh, very long periods of time and the schemes are very complex. Okay, well, I mean, obviously the, the implication there is that you're seeing um, increased uh, opportunity over time, but the exit of uh, Aon here, does that, does that signal uh, a lack of uh, profitability in the sector or is it just a, qu a question of scaling down for them? I think it's a question of um, scaling down and I think uh, pension admin for them is probably not one of their core things whereas for us it's right to the centre of what we do we've been the government's paymaster since 1836 so uh, this is this is our bread and butter and it's where we uh, you know it's where we want to specialise. Are there any other uh, product areas that you're developing at the moment that you can highlight the long-term growth potential? I think for retail investors, what I would say is that we're building out our online share dealing services. And what we want to do is make uh, a really, really accessible, low cost utility type service where people can come out of share plans, for instance, in their corporate employer and be able to hold stock and trade stock simply. We think there's a real market, a real middle market there to um, provide those investment services alongside pension services. Then more broadly in the corporate market, there is so much opportunity now 
now around data protection and data analytics as our uh, uh, regulations become more complex. It's that complexity argument again. Complexity is what we like. We, we, we like those tough, thankless jobs where you need real specialism to get it done. Okay, that's certainly... Uh that's certainly a point that's pertinent as far as our uh, readership's concerned as well, especially those that have already uh, taken a plunge in equity. But Guy, I think we've covered just about everything so far. So listen, thanks very much for, for coming in again. It would be nice to speak to you at some point down the line when uh, some of the issues uh, relating to Brexit have been uh, clarified and also to uh, take a look again where we're moving on the uh, issue of nominee accounts. But thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. It's great to talk to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.